Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive, Episode 4. I'm your host as always, Luke Giaconetti, and I would like to take this opportunity to remind you that we are in fact non-compliant with the South Carolina State Board of Licensure and Compliance. I hope everybody enjoyed our last episode. We talked about the return of Godzilla, aka Godzilla 1985. We're going to be jumping about 15 years forward this time. We're going to move from the 80s into the aughts. We're going to be talking about the second film in the Millennium series, Godzilla X Megaguirus. And we will be right back after this quick break. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, again wreaks havoc on the streets of Tokyo. The entire city was transformed into a sea of fire. Less than ten years after the end of the war, and in the middle of the post-war economic miracle, Tokyo was once again the scene of death and mass destruction. The advent of nuclear power and the threat of nuclear weapons had brought the monster back to life. Mankind was powerless and could only stand and watch as Godzilla vented its rage. A few months after the attack, Tokyo undertook a massive program of reconstruction. Japan moved its capital to Osaka and the country slowly started to return to normality. Alright, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Our film this month is uh, Godzilla X Megaguirus. This uh, film was released at the end of the year 2000. It was directed by Masaki Tezuka with special effects by Kenji Suzuki. Let's get right into it with the monster roll call. Up first is Godzilla, the King of the Monsters, fresh off his appearance uh, the previous year in Godzilla Millennium, also known as Godzilla 2000 over in the States. Uh, this continues the similar look that uh, Goji had in the, pre- in the previous film with the extended jawline, sharp teeth, and the very prominent pointy spines on his back. Up next is Megaguirus, who makes her first appearance and to date only appearance in a Godzilla film. Megaguirus is uh, the mature queen form of a couple of smaller monsters. The first we get is the Meganeuron. This is their first appearance since 1956 in Rodan, where they were the initial bug monster uh, featured in that film. And then we also get the Meganula, which is the mature version of the Meganuron, and they are just winged versions, kind of like a uh, dragonfly, nymph, and a dragonfly. Our story opens, actually, in 1954, as we get flashbacks to the initial time when Godzilla attacked Japan. Although, unlike last time, when we got flashbacks to the original, this time they insert the modern Godzilla into the footage. So you see the Millennium-style uh, Godzilla destroying 1954 Tokyo. Very, very, uh, very nice effect. It looks a little weird at first, but ultimately it's, it's really well achieved. And um, we learned that you know Godzilla 
basically wipes out uh, Tokyo and that to the point that uh, the Japanese government has moved to Osaka and uh, you know they go into a great period of rebuilding. We then jump forward to 1966 when the first Japanese nuclear power plant opens and Godzilla reappears to attack and destroy it. This leads the Japanese government to have to concoct new ways to provide energy for their growing country, uh, including wind and solar, but these aren't enough to cover their needs, so they begin to develop plasma energy as an energy source. So we jump forward again to 1996, and with Godzilla reappearing once more to attack a plasma facility. But this time, the military is ready for him, and in a, a unit of soldiers is equipped with uh, like handheld RPGs and bazookas, that sort of stuff, and they're in the streets of Osaka uh, flanking and attacking Godzilla, and amongst them is our heroine, uh, Sujimori. And Sujimori uh, gets a good shot off right at Godzilla's chest from a rooftop right before she's uh, ordered to retreat by her commander. Well, she refuses, and in the ensuing melee with Godzilla in the building, uh, Sujimori's commander is killed. And you know she does the scream out in rage and fire the shot sort of thing. But, uh, she'll become our heroine, as is uh, pretty plain. Jumping forward to the present day, uh, we meet uh, a guy named Kudo, and Kudo is a uh, miniaturized electronics uh, expert, and he is recruited by Sujimori for the G Grasper team. And the G Grasper team—they are the task force assigned with uh, studying when Godzilla will appear and then when he does, dealing with it. He hasn't appeared since uh, 96, but they're still in full swing, you know, uh, with their preparations and their uh, training to make sure that if he ever does appear, they'll take him out. And Sujimori is now a major, and she leads the military uh, side of the G-Rasper team. The reason why Kudo is recruited is a Dr. Yoshizawa, who I might want to add is played by Yuriko Hoshi, who had played Naoko in Gidor, the Three-Headed Monster. This was uh, a trend in this time to... Uh, feature uh, uh, excuse me, actors and actresses from the older films in roles of authority <laughs> in the Millennium film. This trend would continue pretty much for the entire uh, series. Well, Yoshizawa has invented a weapon called the Dimensional Tide. And what the Dimensional Tide is, is a miniaturized black hole which will uh, suck Godzilla into another dimension. Because, as you know, the Godzilla series is always rooted in hard science. And um, they need Kudo to make it smaller, because right now they can make a much larger black hole than they need, so they need a smaller black hole. Uh, so Kudo gets to work, and they do uh, get the dimensional tide to a, uh, a prototype stage, and they have a test firing out in the wilderness. And they fire it against a, uh, a building, an abandoned building, and sure enough, it works. It generates a small black hole, absorbs the entire thing, and then poops out. Um, leaving only a slight wormhole effect afterwards. Well, what they don't realize uh, is that something came through it. And in the woods, there is a, a giant scaly egg about the size of a watermelon, which is found by a uh, kid who's a bug collector. And uh, Sujimori ends up coming across the kid. He doesn't tell her about the egg, but she makes him promise not to talk about what he saw at the test firing, and the kid agrees. Uh, the next day, though, the egg has begun leaking all sorts of fluid, and so the kid dumps it and gets rid of it, dumps it in the sewer because he's, he's now starting to freak out a little bit about it. He doesn't really give it another thought until later on that night when he sees a giant insect fly by his window. 
He tells Sujimori about it, and she says that apparently there must have been an insect egg in the way of the dimensional tide, and that it mutated. Clearly, once again, going back to the hard science aspect. Uh, but she tells him that it wasn't his fault, and that if anything happens, she'll take care of it. Right about this time, we cut into uh, the city, and we see a couple, a young couple get attacked and killed by a giant bug. It's a mega neuron. And um, it's definitely a horror aspect, much like in Rodan. And in fact, there's a nice reference to Rodan because the couple gets attacked, and all we see left behind are uh, a cup and a pair of headphones. And this is very similar to a scene in Rodan where the Mega Neuron attack, or excuse me, when Rodan attacks a couple and we see just a shoe and a camera left behind. But similar idea, it's definitely supposed to be a callback to Rodan. Mega Neuron look pretty neat. They're, uh, they're, they're a combination of, of puppets when they're interacting with people and then CG. And the CG actually looks pretty decent. Uh, Toho's CG would, would, you know, ebb and flow over the years, but these look pretty good. And um, we see the Mega Neuron after it feeds on this young couple it molts into a Meganula and grows wings and flies off. Back at G. Grasper base, they find an alarm when the temperature in the South Pacific has risen and they do an analysis and sure enough, yeah, they think it's Godzilla in the uh, moving north towards uh, Japan. So they scramble and they scramble into their, um, their jet, which is called the Griffin. This is the latest in a long line of super jets in the Godzilla series which doesn't prove super effective, but looks cool and allows uh, Bandai to sell a new toy. So they scramble the uh, Griffin and they head out into the sea. Um, as they're flying out there, they spot a couple of uh, dead Meganula sitting in the water. And they drop down to investigate. And when they drop down, they, they find that Godzilla moves right on top of them. Uh, and so Sujimori actually uh, titches a ride on Godzilla. And this is not nearly as silly as it sounds because she her she actually hooks up uh, some attachments to her uniform, turning it into an anti-radiation uniform. And she blocks, you know, she, it's got a collapsible collar and a mask and, you know, she has a rat alarm on her chest that goes off like immediately upon landing on Godzilla. But actually, as silly as it sounds, it works really good. The effects are real nice. Um, the, uh, you know, she really looks like she's riding Godzilla. And, uh, again, good interaction between the effects and the human plates. And what Sujimori is able to do is uh, fire a tracer bullet that Kudo developed into Godzilla's hide so that they can always track him and they know where he is. Uh, then she gets out of dodge. After the interaction with Godzilla, uh, reports start coming in of massive flooding in uh, Tokyo. Tokyo is no longer the capital, but it's still a... Uh, it's been rebuilt into a major city, and there's all, all this flooding. Uh, two, whole sec two whole districts are almost completely underwater, and no one's really sure of the, of the reason. So part of the G. Grasper team goes to investigate and uh, help evacuate people out. Well, what they um, Kudo develops a, a miniature submarine, like miniatures and like remote-controlled size, and pumps it under the water, and it's got a camera on it, and they send it down, and what they see is that there is a gigantic egg um, at the bottom of the uh, flooding, and that little mega neuron eggs are popping off of it, and uh, so they're, you know, they're they're investigating that. Meanwhile, the other half of the G Grasper team, led by Sujimori, they are uh, enacting a plan to lure Godzilla to an uninhabited island, 
to use the dimensional tide against him and blast him to another dimension. Um, actually, pretty neat. We get some cool scenes of uh, Godzilla swimming in CG, as uh, would become kind of standard. So he actually swims instead of just walking along the bottom of the ocean. And uh, when they're attacking him with the griffin, trying to lure him, actually, he fires his beam at them, and the beam actually boils the ocean. I always thought that was neat. That's a cool effect. It really would do that, you know, so uh, I'm cool with that. So while they lure him to the uh, island back in Tokyo, the Mega Nulon swarm uh, makes, you know, takes off, and they fly out to this island. And they're attracted to Godzilla because he's a massive energy source. So this swarm of Mega Nulon uh, attack Godzilla. And uh, they start, you know, uh, fighting him and, you know, trying to suck as much energy as he can. And uh, Godzilla is at first kind of overwhelmed by them. He's flying around. He, he can't really hit a lot of them because they're a swarm. But eventually he does his thermonuclear pulse and wipes a bunch of them out. And there's a couple of real satisfying scenes of him just stomping on them. Uh, the swarm effect looks really good. Um, it's, it's it's not something we've really seen. I mean, there was kind of a small swarm of destroyers in, in Godzilla vs. Destroyer, but they were much larger, whereas these are about human-sized, and we get a couple hundred of them, and it looks really good. It's a scene that's never really been duplicated. Um, very effective uh, scene. So while he's being uh, attacked by the Mega Nuon swarm, uh, they fire the dimensional tide. Well, the dimensional tide misses because there's so much extra material with the mega nulons all over them that all it basically does is hit the uh, hit the island itself, burying Godzilla under rubble, but it does not knock him into another dimension. Uh, so the swarm takes off back to Tokyo, and they dive under the water, and they um, start giving all their energy to their uh, queen which is uh, Megagirus, and Megagirus is in a Meganeuron form, and when they dump all the energy into her, she molts into Megagirus. And Megagirus is one really, really ugly dragonfly-looking monster. I mean, uh, she's kind of like an updated version of Batra, who was the, the dark Mothra from Godzilla's Mothra 92, but a lot uglier. Um, and she's got claws and a stinger, and, uh, and, and big uh, wings. And the wings, of course, are a little problematic, as is common with this, because they don't really move very uh, convincingly to suggest the lift that would need to heft up a monster like this. But, you know, that, that's, that's part and parcel with, the, uh, with, with how the effects are done. So you, you take it. Um, Megagirus very quickly... Um, uh, yeah, Megagirus very quickly surfaces and then shows off one of her abilities, the ability to vibrate her wings at a hypersonic frequency to uh, cause massive destruction. So she, um, she heads out right while uh, Godzilla is heading to Tokyo after the swarm. And uh, from there, the fight is on, and it's Godzilla versus Megagirus uh, in the streets of uh, Tokyo, and it's a back-and-forth fight because while Godzilla has the obvious uh, strength advantage, he can't quite catch her and she moves very quickly and avoids them, and then she also uses her uh, stinger to suck energy out of him. There's a neat scene where she stabs him and sucks a bunch of energy out of him, and uh, Goji goes to fire the beam at close range and fizzles out. And he has this look like, huh? on his face, uh, which um, was a very amusing. Uh, the battle rages on, and meanwhile, the G. Grasper team is desperately trying to uh, 
recalibrate the dimensional tide so they can send both monsters to the great beyond. Uh, but we don't know if they're going to make it. And that's where our story leads. Um, you know, I hadn't seen Godzilla X Megaguirus since um, probably about 2001. And that probably was because it's really not that remarkable of a movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. But it's not great, and that's you know that that's kind of uh, a hard thing sometimes with movies when when there's nothing particularly wrong with them, but there's nothing particularly great about it either. Uh, the effects are a mixed bag, unfortunately. Uh, there's some really good suit effects. I mean, Goji looks really good. His suit is very similar to the previous year, except the coloring uh, is different. The suit is much more green, to the point of almost being like kind of a comical green, but it looks good. And the uh, spines are less purple. The spines in Godzilla 2000 were very, very purple. And here they're a little more muted. It's a good look for Godzilla. And, uh, definitely a popular one with fans. Uh, the flooded model of Tokyo looks really neat, too. I mean, it's uh, very simple. Just take the model and flood it. But it looks very effective. And it matches up well with the live-action shots. So uh, it, it's, it's an appreciated effect. Megaguirus, like I said, there's some, um, you know, the issues with the wing flap. Uh, which is funny because when she does her supersonic attack, the wings flap really fast, and that looks cool. And if they had done that the entire time, I don't think anybody would have had a problem with it. But, you know, her wings flap very slowly, just like Mothra and Batra and everybody else. So, you know, you, you kind of accept it as what it is. Um, unfortunately, there's also a, a, a really uh, blatant scene right when she first revives where the wires are really evident, and it just looks bad, and you kind of wish they had cleaned that up, but... You know, you can't always get what you want. Um, the human element is is okay. Uh, Sujimori is kind of an interesting character, but she's really kind of underdeveloped. Uh, this similar character would get revisited a couple of years later in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, aka GXMG, and let's see, this is 2000, in 2002. And that character is much more successful uh, than this one, and much more interesting. So she's kind of like a prototype. And again, there's not that there's anything particularly wrong with her. It's just there's not a whole lot to her either. Uh, Kudo, uh, the electronics guy, he's kind of annoying. You know, he's he's really super excited about stuff, and he always seems to have the right gadget for the right uh, um, what they need at the time. Uh, you know, he, he's kind of a he's kind of a character that's there because they need somebody to do the tech stuff, and they need somebody to repair the dimensional tide computer, and they need somebody to develop a miniature sub. You know, there's nothing again. There's nothing wrong with him, but he's not really memorable, and he's not really uh, enjoyable character. The character I really liked was Yoshizawa. Uh, she is a very uh, well-drawn character. We we see in a flashback that um, a lot of her colleagues were killed in in 1996 when Godzilla's attack then, and that is what has driven her to create the dimensional tide. And uh, she's played very well uh, by Yuriko Hoshi. Um, very good screen presence. Uh, even the dub is pretty decent of her. So that, that, she's my favorite character of the group. It's, it's weird. The last two films, both uh, Return of Godzilla and now Godzilla X Megaguirus, uh, I've been more attracted to the older characters than the younger characters. Uh, I don't know what that says other than, you know, the, the older characters tend to be um, more thoughtful in, in Japanese cinema than, in, than the younger ones. Uh, just some, let's see here. Oh, the fight between... 
uh, Godzilla and Megaguirus is actually it, it's it's I, I like it a lot. It's it's not super serious. There's some goofy elements in it. Um, Megaguirus has these large foreclaws, and there's one part where she just kind of grabs Godzilla with one and it bonk bonk on the head with the other one, and it reminded me of Titanosaurus uh, doing the bonk bonk on the head from uh, Terra Mechagodzilla. There's also a scene where um, Godzilla grabs Megaguirus, sticks her into the ground with her stinger, and then does a giant flying tackle, uh, a la Super Sentai, uh, onto her. And, you know, again, it's, 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 this whole film is kind of channeling the late Showa, the 1970s Showa films, and it does a good job of them, I think, because there's a big, long fight, there's some silly aspects, Godzilla has some human reactions, there's some crazy, ridiculous science. You know, I, I think it's very effectively done, even with the, the goofier parts. Two other parts of the fight that stand out is um, Godzilla and Megaguirus have a uh, kind of a samurai charge at each other, and right as they are about to clash, Godzilla uh, ducks down and uses his spine as a weapon to cut off one of Megaguirus' foreclaws. Very effectively cool scene. There's also a really neat tail whip where... Um, Megaguirus grabs Godzilla's tail and he kind of turns and whips her uh, headlong into a building, which is very nicely done with the destruction of the building and everything. There's some funny bits in this, too. Uh, at one point when they're evacuating Tokyo, the uh, we hear the, news, the, the TV news reporter, you know, giving the details. And then we cut to him, and then he gets grabbed by the soldiers and forced away. And it's like, oh... <laughs> You know, you always see, in, every time you see this in evacuation, there's always a news reporter who's like, well, now they're evacuating him, too. That, that, that made me laugh. Uh, interesting also is that the, um, I mentioned that Megaguirus was able to suck energy out of Godzilla. You know, Orga in Godzilla 2000 did the same thing. He was able, he was uh, like kind of an energy vampire a little bit. So, interesting to see that uh, make a comeback, too. Um, let's see. Uh, complaints. Like I said, the effects are a mixed bag. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I like Megaguirus, but really, is she any different than Batra? Not particularly, and I like Batra better. Uh, Megaguirus, it's almost like they were trying way too hard to make her super ugly and super nasty, whereas Batra has a certain elegance, you know? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just because uh, I, I, I saw Batra first. I, I can't really say. I mean, Megaguirus is a... Not a bad monster, certain welcome entry to the Pantheon, but not one of my favorites. Uh, the Mega Neuron, who I thought are very well uh, presented in this film, and are favorites of mine from Rodan. The only complaint I have about the Mega Neuron is that they're very distinctive cackling type of cry from Rodan is not featured, and I would have really marked out if they had uh, broken that out when they attacked the couple in Tokyo or, or something like that. Uh, just you know, a very memorable sound if you've ever seen Rodan. And when we talk about Rodan, I will be sure to cut that sound in. Um, and it would have been nice to see that come back after the Mega Neuron got brought back after 50 years or so. Um, the music. Let me talk about the music. The music was done by uh, Michiru Oshima. And he would go on to score a couple more Millennium films. And, uh, it's good. It, it's kind of a nice update on the sort of military marches and stuff that Ifukube would give us. A lot of nice bass in it. Uh, the the opening credits uh, and intro music is very uh, very kind of epic sounding and very memorable. I also really like the battle theme between Godzilla and Megaguirus. It has a, almost a Spanish sort of quality to it, like a bullfight. 
which is appropriate considering that, you know, um, Megagirus is sort of like a matador. It's like Godzilla comes charging and she's out of the way all of a sudden. That's a neat, um, a neat use of the score. And it's, it's not, like I said, it's not Ifakube, but it's, it's still a good score. I've got the uh, Listen to the Perfect Collection soundtrack uh, the other day, and it's a uh, very nicely composed uh, score. Let's see, any other comments here? No, I think that's about all I've got on my notes. Um, Godzilla X Megagirus is available on DVD from Sony TriStar. You can also watch it free on Crackle.com, which is where I watched it for uh, this uh, episode. so I would suggest, if it sounds interesting to you, go to Crackle.com and watch it. And give it a shot. And if you like it, then buy the DVD. Uh, you can't go wrong with trying something for free, right? Overall, I think this is kind of a, a lesser entry. It's certainly not one of the worst ones, but it's also certainly not one of the best. It's, uh, you know, an entertaining couple of, uh, you know, hour and 45 minutes. The main problem I have with this film is it really tries to do too much, I think. I think there's kind of two plots going on here. I think you could make a really solid solo Godzilla movie with the JSDF trying to deploy the dimensional tide against him, or you could make a very solid Godzilla versus Megajiris, uh, you know, old school Showa movie out of this. But doing them both together, neither plot element seems to get as much attention as it deserves, and it feels a little jumbled. And that's my main complaint with the film. Uh, if they had been tightened up a little bit, maybe you know. Uh, either do one or the other instead of both. I think this would have been a much more successful film, but as it stands, it's certainly good, but definitely not great. Uh, so like I said, go check it out on Crackle.com. You know, give it give it some thoughts. I'd love to hear some feedback on what you folks think of this one. Uh, I know Maggie Garris is fairly popular. I know she appears in a couple of the later video games, and, you know, I know she's got some fans. So I'd love to hear what you guys think about Godzilla X Megagirus. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back here on the Earth Destruction Directive. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. It must have been hard. I can't change what happened to my friends. However, I can make sure that such things will never, ever happen again. And how will you do that? With a new plasma weapon we're developing... A miniaturized black hole. Black hole? Black hole, right. It'll swallow Godzilla and keep it prisoner. For eternity. Okay, we're back here on Earth Destruction Directive. I'm going to wrap things up for this episode. First, I do have an email here. This email comes from Scotty Gardner, and it's titled Episodes 2 and 3. Hello again, Luke. Scotty here, apologizing for not sending feedback on EDD Episode 2. Scotty, considering you were the only person who has sent me any feedback, don't apologize. In fact, I welcome feedback, so uh, keep it coming. However, I'm here to give my feedback for both episodes. First off, King Ghidorah is among my top four Daikaiju, staying at the number four slot just below Megalon, Godzilla in his 2000 model, and Rodan. I enjoyed your synopsis of both movies you reviewed, and I am constantly amazed with your knowledge of Godzilla's universe. Your show is constantly interesting, and you deliver the synopsis of material you review in an entertaining manner. Also, as I listen to the episodes, it seems to me that the overall quality of the episodes increases with each of the episodes. Hope you hear much more of the EDD, and wish you a good day, sir, Scotty Gardner. First off, I'd like to say thank you for calling me sir. Most times when I'm called sir, it's when I'm paying somebody to park my car. Um, regarding uh, King Ghidorah, you know, the thing about King Ghidorah is that he's such a classic design. 
even non-Daigaiju fans recognize King Ghidorah, or most times they call him King Ghidorah, but, you know, they, they see the three heads, the gold, the wings, like, oh yeah, I know him, you know, he's very iconic. Um, interesting that you mentioned Godzilla's 2000 form. Uh, I know that uh, from previous discussions that you played a lot of Destroy All Monsters Melee, and I know that was the standard, I want to say the standard Godzilla, and then you could unlock the 90s Godzilla later, if I remember correctly, so makes sense that you would dig the uh, 2000 uh, Godzilla form. You would definitely like the way Godzilla looks in Godzilla X Megagira, so I can tell you that right now. Um, anyway, thank you for writing in, Scotty. I appreciate the kind words. As far as the quality improving, uh, I do have some better equipment. I'm actually using a mic and not my crappy MP3 player, so I hope the sound sounds a little bit better. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to keep the EDD going as long as I can. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I hope people are having fun listening to it. If you would like to send feedback into the Earth Destruction Directive, please email us at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also post comments on our blog, which is the official home of Earth Destruction Directive on the Internet, at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. This is where you can find new episodes posted of the show. And if I've come across anything uh, Daikaiju-related, I'll be sure to post it up there as well. Uh, might be putting up some reviews of the IDW Godzilla uh, Kingdom of Monsters comics up there. Uh, in the near future, just to drive some more eyeballs to the site. Uh, next time on the EDD, we are going to be talking about Gamera. Now you ask, Luke, what Gamera movie are we going to be talking about? Well, that is entirely up to you, EDD listeners. I'm going to talk about one of the Showa Gamera movies, but I'm going to leave it up to you to pick which one. Okay, the Showa Gamera films were Giant Monster Gamera, Gamera vs. Barrigan, Gamera vs. Gauss, Gamera vs. Beerus, Gamera vs. Giran, Gamera vs. Jiger, and Gamera vs. Zegra. We're leaving Super Monster Gamera out because Super Monster Gamera is kind of just a clip movie and I want to do one of the originals. So, go to EDD, EDD's uh, web blog at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com and I will put up a post saying which Gamera movie do you want to see? Comment on that post and let me know. Also, you can email your responses in at the Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com address, and I will count them. Whatever one uh, is picked in the next couple of weeks, whichever one I get the most requests for, that will be the one I will watch, and I will report on the blog um, which one it is, in case you want to watch it beforehand. Uh, really hoping to get some uh, some good feedback here. I don't know what it's going to be. I like most of the Gamera movies. They're all a lot of fun. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what people choose. And remember, this is only the show. These are the original Gamera films we're not going to be talking about. Uh, Guardian of the Universe, Advent of Legion, or um, Awakening of Eris. Those are the Hesai ones. We're going to cover those down the road. Uh, that'll probably be a three-episode series because those three are tied so closely together it'd be difficult to do them out of order. Um, so, uh, everybody be sure to go to the blog and vote or send an email and vote, and you, know, you can help choose who Gamera will defend the Earth from in our next episode. All right, that's all we've got for today. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Please send along your feedback to the email address or post them on the blog. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. And that's Luke signing off. Have a good one. Hey, kids, comic! Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. 
watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Aikid Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. <laughs>